You're listening to the Saints Church Glastonbury Podcast. My name is Brett. I'm the pastor of Saints Church, which is a family of churches in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and we would love to see you with locations across the region. We're starting uh, our Christmas season. Come on, it's Christmas time. This is a message called Be Humble. Anyone notice it's December? Anyone slightly surprised that it's September? I kind of, I'm like, or did, wow, September. What? I don't even know what month it is. It's December, right? It's not September. It's December. Maybe it's September. I don't know, but it's probably December. And, uh, and that kind of snuck up on us. But as that sneaks up on us, so too does Christmas. And so we turn our minds towards Christmas. And as we turn our hearts and our minds towards Christmas, often we think of all of the preparations that we have to make, all the things that we have to do. Uh, you know, if you're somebody who does baking, you think of all the things that you have to bake and make. If you're like me, you think of all the things you have to eat. Uh, if you, if you, uh, if you uh, have family and friends and all those people that you want to give gifts to, if that's a part of your tradition, then you think about all the things you need to buy and you give Amazon a workout. But we think of all the little tiny details and all the moments that we have to get ready for. Decorating the house, putting the lights up. We think of all of those preparations, but very rarely do we think about the preparations to make in our heart as we celebrate the arrival of Jesus? So as we prepare to celebrate the arrival, his birth, could we take a moment to consider how? How he showed up here. How he arrived. How he entered the scene. Because it matters. When we think about what Jesus came from to get here, we have to think of what he left. Speaking of heaven, John, uh, the beloved of, of Jesus, his best friend, BFF, writes this in Revelation 21, verse 4. Speaking of heaven, this is what you have to anticipate when you make it to heaven. He says this about heaven. He, being God, will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Neither shall be, there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. The former things have passed away. When you think about Jesus coming to earth, we have to also think about what he left behind to come here. There shall be no pain. For the former things have passed away. The, in heaven, the things that we are used to and we have become accustomed to on earth begin to pass away. It's why we have this bold confidence and anticipation for heaven. We have a longing in our hearts. If you're a follower of Jesus, there is a deep longing in our heart to at some point return home. We have not been there, but we just know it is our home. Heaven is our home where there is no pain and there are no tears and death shall be no more nor crying, nor pain. We long for that, and that is the place that Jesus left. He left it all. He came to live. He came to breathe. He came to experience pain because there is no pain in heaven. He came here. We must consider what he left behind as he stepped 
into our story. Timothy Keller once spoke of a mid-century British novelist named Dorothy Sayer. She used to write these crime novels. And her main protagonist was this incredible detective, and he would solve all of these crimes. But as the novel series progressed, uh, the readers became increasingly aware of the loneliness of our star detective. Lo and behold, by about novel five and six, Dorothy, the author, begins to write in the perfect partner, a love interest, for our fearless detective, that he would not live alone, that he would not live lonely. Now, critics of the day and literary writers of the day began to notice that this love interest, this perfect partner, actually exhibited the same characteristics of the author herself. That, she, that, that this character in these novels was, was exactly like her. She had the same features. She had the same attributes. It could be said that our novelist, Dorothy Sayers, wrote herself into her very story. And I would suggest to you today that Jesus Christ, the, the one who spoke the world into existence, that God the Father, Jesus Christ, they have been writing themselves into the human story for all of time. And as we prepare for Christmas, we happen upon the moment where Jesus himself visibly enters frame. Enter Jesus. He comes from heaven to earth to a family of modest means. From the throne room of heaven to the home of a carpenter by miraculous means via a virgin in a manger while the current government was trying to murder him for simply being alive. An incredible story. Jesus left it all behind that he could write himself into our story, that he could begin to redeem our story that he could change everything. You could go as far as to say that Jesus understood the assignment. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2? We're going to go to Philippians chapter 2. You make your way through the New Testament. You go through 1st and 2nd Chronicles. Then you get to these great four letters of Paul, and uh, there's an acronym that I'll never forget. If you're trying to remember which one comes first, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, or Colossians, giants eat peas and carrots. So you'll remember we're going to Philippians. We're going to Philippians. You got to use whatever you got to use to remember where to find it in the Bible. I'm just giving time for all the people that brought their paper paper Bible church, thank God. Uh, And uh, I'm just making some time so you can get there. Philippians, chapter 2. We're going to start at verse 5. If you're with me, say, I'm with you. It's okay to laugh. It's okay to cry. It's okay to come on the journey and to verbalize uh, your celebration. If you have any questions, one of the worship team will answer all of your questions after church at some point. Uh, Ephesians, Philippians chapter 2. Let's just go right here. Verse 5. Are you ready? Philippians 2 verse 5. 
you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. We'll just start right there. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privilege. Another translation says he emptied himself. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, if you're anything like me, and you have the ability to do this, I started noticing a pattern in these words, and I started underlining a particular word. I underlined the word humble. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Well, what does that look like? One word, humble. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. He humbled himself in obedience to God. We could probably go home if we could just grasp the concept that to become the person that God has called you and created you to be, that you simply have to humble yourself under the obedience of God. That we live a life following the sound of his voice. Now, Jesus gave us a pattern to follow. I love uh, Colossians 1.18, and there's a line in Colossians 1.18 that says, so he is first in everything. Jesus is first in everything. He is the first, so he gave us a pattern to follow. So if we're going to live in the same way that, that Jesus had, if, and we want to have the same attitude that he had, we must understand that he is the first in everything, and he has given us a pattern by which we can live. I would like to suggest to you today the greatest gift that Jesus gave was showing us how to live. I'm going to say it one more time. The greatest gift that Jesus gave was showing us how to live. I want to take it one step further for my note takers. The greatest gift that we could give others is to live like Jesus. The greatest gift that he gave was showing us how to live. The greatest gift that you could give is to live like Jesus. Okay, great, but I'm not born of a virgin in a manger. I know. There's some clues. Scripture is faithful in highlighting these attributes. So we're going to just back it up a few verses in Philippians chapter 2. We'll look at verse 3. How do we live like Jesus? Great question. Thanks for asking. Philippians 2 verse 3. It says this. 
Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't only look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. We'll just hold it right there. We'll go back to verse three. We have somewhat of a list forming. How do I live like Jesus? You see the list? You see it? Don't be selfish. I would contend that there are two great tests of selfishness that every person, particularly every man, must go through. The first test of selfishness is the greatest blessing and the greatest lesson of all time called marriage. When you get married, you learn how selfish of a human being you truly are. Where you've only thought about you what you want, when you want, how you want it. You say silly things. You expect your wife to be your mom. And you learn that you've got some deficiencies. And just take my word for it, don't ever say the phrase, that's not how my mom used to do it. Okay? Don't say that. Don't learn from my pain. I won't even tell you the story. It's embarrassing. I'll never live it down. That's not how my mom used to do it. Well, thank God. She's not your mom. She's your wife. And you're a selfish fool. Fold your own socks. But not really. Uh, (laughs) We have an agreement, okay? Don't judge me. Second thing, I'm good at this. Don't try to impress others. I just made a fool of myself. Don't try to impress others. First thing, Oh, I didn't tell you the second test of selfishness. Don't be selfish. First test, marriage. Second test, kids. Wow, then you learn how terrible of a person you are. Husbands, where you just stay at work just a few minutes longer hoping you'll miss bedtime. Don't say I didn't call you out on that one. You know it's true. I just had, I had to stay late. No, you just avoided the work at home. She needs a break, bro. Go home. I'm surprised the ladies didn't stand in applause on that one, to be honest. I thought I had some juice on that one, but it wasn't, it wasn't nothing. It just didn't go. She's like, I'll believe it when I see it, Pastor. I guess I should speak to the men for a moment. We can do better. We're called to lay our lives down for our wives and for our families in the same way that Jesus laid his life down for us. Come on, dad. Come on, man. Come on, husband. Let's lay our lives down for our family. But I don't get my me time. I don't care. Lay it down for the we time where we can do this together. Number two, don't try to impress others. See, living a life of obedience, because that's a key in Jesus' life. 
Jesus would say over and over and over again, I could only do what my father would have me do, what he would tell me to do. He lived out of this place of, I'm just going to live in response to the voice of the father. You and I can can live in in response. Now you go, man, uh, I don't think this is practical. I can't live, I can't just live every day asking God, should I put my socks on? Should they be white? Should they be black? Which color should I pick? Like, I don't know how I can live this place of obedience. Well, you can learn to live and hear the voice of God, uh, but in reality, there's, there's, there's a trick to it. And the trick is not so much a trick as it is just lived over time. And I would say this, for me, and this is the way that it works for me, it may not work for you in this way, but if it's not a no, it's a go. When I'm, I'm asking God for, the, for major direction in my life, when I'm, when I'm trying to figure out which path to take, I, I, know, I know what no sounds like. Sometimes it sounds like my wife. But I know what it feels like in my heart and I know what it feels like in my spirit. And you could use this phrase if it's helpful for you. We could learn to live on green. You know, green lights. If you don't have a a no, if there's not a caution, if there's not a yellow, if there's not a stop or a no, then you can move forward. Now, why do I say this when it says don't try to impress others? Because oftentimes we make our decisions based on what are they going to think about it, not what does the Lord have for me? And we can live in this tension point. What's, what's good or what's, what's God? And oftentimes our primary consideration is how is this going to benefit me and how's it going to look to everybody else? The truth is, I wonder what our lives might look like if our primary consideration is, is this good or is this God? Because he cares and he cares about the details and he cares about the small things. Number three is be humble. And it says, As a little follow-up, because Paul loved to tag on things, he says, be humble, thinking of others is better than yourselves or preferring others over yourselves. It's the same writer who who gave advice to the husbands to lay their lives down, even as Christ laid his life down. Number four, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others. I think that's probably the most challenging to take an interest in others because, you know, you've got a lot going on. You've got things, you've got decisions, you've got work, you've got kids, you've got family, you've got priorities, you've got all these activities, you've got hobbies, you've got all these different things. And listen, I've got a lot on my plate right now. I understand that you've got a lot on your plate right now, but I wonder what might happen if you began to take an interest in others. If you you began to pay attention to what's happening just around you in your immediate sphere, I wonder what might happen if you paid attention to what's happening in the cubicle one over. I wonder what might happen if you began to pay attention to to whatever's happening in the neighborhood or in the community and you just began to notice, I I don't think think something's right with that that couple. Oh no, they're just doing this. No, no, I I think something's wrong. I wonder what might happen. I wonder how God could use you if you began to take an interest in somebody else. And you began to notice, man, something is not quite right. Did you, do you realize that oftentimes when you begin to get that feeling that something is not quite right, most of us just stuff it down and go, oh, well, I guess, I guess it'll be fine. It'll be fine. It'll be, it's going to be fine. It'll be fine. The truth is, for most of us, that's God speaking to us saying, listen, something's not fine. Would you take an interest in somebody other than yourself? 
Would you send a text message? Would you pick up the phone? Would you just walk? Well, listen, it's awkward. Well, humble yourself then. Every awkward situation, every difficult conversation is made infinitely more difficult and complex because my pride gets in the way. Because all I think about is, what are they going to think of me if I have this conversation? They're going to think that you care. They're going to realize that in very real time, you're the answer to their prayer. Let's recap this list. Are you still with me? We'll recap this list. Sometimes it gets so quiet in here that I think I'm alone. Thank you. We're going to live like Jesus. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. And don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Why? Because you must, verse 5, you must have the same attitude that Christ had. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Think about this. He came in humility. That's how he showed up. He came in humility. He came. Like, my favorite moment in Scripture, do you ever like behind-the-scenes thing? My son the other day, he's eight, asked me when he gets to watch Jurassic Park. And I'm like, I don't have time for these nightmares. I'm thinking of you. I'm thinking of someone other than myself, but also myself. I don't have time for these nightmares. What's funny about that is about that age, I watched Jurassic Park. And I had this book. I got this book for Christmas that was the behind the scenes. My sons love the behind the scenes of particular ever. Loves like anything behind the scenes. You could see all the pictures of all the animatronics and all the things and, and how things are made and how it happened. It's amazing. I love all that stuff. I want to see, I want this, I want to understand the secret sauce. Like, don't just tell me like, I just want to see the end product. I want to see how it happened. But what we find in the Bible, you find the creation count in Genesis 1, but you find the behind the scenes in Colossians 1. Did you know that? When Jesus spoke the earth into existence. In Colossians 1, and there's no notes for this, we're just going rogue today. In Colossians 1, it says this. In verse 15, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created in the heavenly realms and on earth. So he created up there and down here. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions, yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. 
the behind the scenes is that Jesus Christ spoke the world into existence and then to save it, he entered it. And he didn't enter it riding on a cloud with a big sash. Like if it was me, I'd have a grand entrance red carpet ceremony. I'm here. Thank God I'm not the creator of the universe because how I would have saved it would not have included paint. But he showed up and humbled himself as a child, as a baby in a manger to a family that had to struggle to survive, who had to flee to another country to not to be killed. He showed up in all humility to make a way where there was no way. He came in humility. Watch this. He came in humility so I can come to him in humility. In 1 Peter 1, it says, for you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless, Lamb of God. He came in humility so that I can come to him in humility. He showed me how because he is first in everything. He gave up, he gave up his life and now he asks us to give up our he is first in everything. And our hope came in humility. Our hope came in humility. Jesus came down. He came to set me free. He did it in humility that I could come to him in humility. What do I mean by that? I simply mean that for me to give up my life to Jesus, for me to trust him, for, for me to say, hey, I'm going to go your way. I have to give something up. I have to give up my sin and my brokenness and all the things that I'm embarrassed about and all the things I don't want to talk about and all my proclivities and all my, my, my insecurities. I have to give those things up. But to give those things up, I have to offer them up and I have to say, I have to say them out loud and I have to talk about it. I have to, I have to give it to Jesus and I have to confess and I don't want to talk about it. He came in humility that I could come in humility in my broken and in my weak state. Scripture says all sin has fallen short of the glorious standard of God. Therefore, I'm a broken human being who's in desperate need of a savior. He came. The greatest gift that he gave is that he came and that he lived so that I can truly live. But I only truly live when I live with Jesus. And I come to him in humility and I say, Jesus, forgive me. 1 Peter 1.18, I just read it. It says that he came and he paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. Here's truth. The life that you are living right now without Jesus is empty and without purpose. And you've inherited it. It's just the way that we live. It's just the way humanity lives. You're right. An empty life 
is what we have inherited. It's the greatest legacy that has been passed on from those who have gone before. Without Jesus, my life is empty. That's why there's this searching. Last number of weeks ago, I, I spoke this message out of Psalm 68, verse six, and it says that God leads the prisoners from, pros, uh, from prison to prosperity. That's what he's talking about when, he, when, when we give our life to Jesus. But in the next line, he says, the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land which means those without Jesus live in a dry place, dry and live in an empty place, live in a place where there is no refreshing, where there is no life, where there is no joy, where they're like, you're like, no, I've, I'm, no, but I'm happy. You might be happy for the moment, but you live discontented because there is a piece of you missing. Romans 12 says, do not copy the behaviors and customs the world. Don't continue to perpetuate the cycle of living an empty life that's focused on you and your accomplishments. I wonder what might happen if we as a people could come to God in the same humility that he came to us with. Say, I'm going to surrender my whole life to you. I don't know how you feel about it, but I just feel like December without snow feels a little weird. You know, just feels a little strange. We got tickets to go one of those drive-through light things, and I think we just gotta wait it out for the snow. I know there's other parts of the world, like if you're in Sydney right now, Christmas is in the middle of summer. That's weird. Because for us here, we're like, if there's not snow, if you don't have the lights and the vibes and the feels, it's it just feels off. It's just not quite right. It just feels just, 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 just. It's just not right. And I also know that I don't want to pray for snow because Lord knows he's going to dump so much on us. So much. So I'm not praying. I'm not praying for snow. I'm not believing for snow. I'm just suggesting that a light dropping of snow around December 24th, vanishing on the 26th would be excellent. Because Christmas without snow feels weird. The truth is, our life without Jesus feels weird. It feels off and it feels strange. It feels like there's just this lack of direction. My life without humility feels weird. It just feels like I just can't seem to get it right. Things, they come together, but they don't stay together. And there's brokenness all over the place. And I just I just run from one mess to another. It just feels weird. And then you begin to, you begin to change the position and you're like, okay, what do I got to do? And you, you kind of change things up and you divorce your wife and you you have another family and you buy another car and you get another job looking to go, will this make me feel less weird? No. Jesus came to save you from the empty life that you inherited from your ancestors. And to do that, he came down. He came down. He came down. He came down. He came all the way down. And let's be honest, he came close. And it kind of gets a little uncomfortable when you get too close. Because you're like, you're supposed to be up there. You're not supposed to be down here. But love came down and he got close. And he began to sit in the middle of my mess. I can't stand there. He began to sit in the middle of humanity to see and to understand our brokenness, to feel, to understand so that he goes, you know what? I know what you're going through, but I came down 
So you don't have to stay there. I came down. He came down. You might be coming to church today and maybe you've been away for a really long time, but you've, you've felt that gnawing of the empty life that's been passed down from generation to generation. You're like, kind of like, why did I go to church today? You came to church today so that you could understand that Jesus came down for you. And he got close. He's scary close. And he's closer than you think. He's not afraid of your past. He's not afraid of your brokenness. He's not afraid of your insecurity. He's not afraid of your pain. He's not afraid of where you've been. He's not afraid of any of those things. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, the truth is we also could be reminded that Jesus came down because what we like to do is we like to leave Jesus up there. If you could just stay up there, that would be great. I know my role, you know your role. Don't get too close to me. I've got a time, I've got a routine, I've got a schedule. Please don't mess with what I have going on because I'm set to volunteer for you on Thursdays from seven till nine. And then Sundays, but if he hits 12 o'clock, I am out of here. Now he came down so that I could leave an empty life behind. So I could be filled with life and life more abundantly. And the way that I'm filled with life is me laying down my life as a gift, as an offering. You came down as a gift for me and as a gift to you, though you don't need it, I'm giving this to you. It's my offering. It's my whole life. It's my whole ugly, broken, messy life. Jesus says, watch what I can do when you put that in my hands. Isaiah 1 verse 18, to be clear, scripture says this, come now, let's settle this. Let's settle this. Let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, I will make them white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, I will make them white as wool. Let's settle this. You don't have to live this way. For those who are followers of Jesus, it's a call to radical surrender. It's a call to radical obedience. A call that says, you came to me and I'm gonna give everything for you that I could live a life and life more abundant. For those of us who are kind of a long ways off, who are who are kind of maybe rethinking or recontemplating, or maybe we're, we've just come and to terms with this nagging, gnawing part of our heart that says there's gotta be more than this. My friends, I have to tell you there is more than this, but it's gonna take a step. It takes a simple step. It's a simple prayer that says, Jesus, I need you. I need you. I need you. And he wants to come and fill every nook and cranny. He wants to bring life to where there is brokenness and healing and hope 
freedom. Because Jesus took care of you. We celebrate Christmas because it's the first step as Jesus writes himself into our story. He can This is the Saints Church Glastonbury Podcast. My name is Brett. Saints Church is a family of churches in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. We're so glad that you took some time with us to listen, to dive into scripture. This was a message called Be Humble as we look towards Christmas. Maybe you're listening today and you feel like you want to make a decision to follow Jesus. You say, hey, I know that God has a plan and a purpose for me and I want to make a step towards him. I want to encourage you to get your phone out. You're probably on your phone right now and text the word Jesus, J-E-S-U-S, to 587-400-2010. We'll follow up with you. We'll connect with you. We'd love to help you take your next steps.